it's time. Ladies, you may have said these two words on the day that your water broke and the labor pains stepped up their game. Dad, you may have said these two words to one of your kids as you removed the training wheels from their bike. When you were graduating senior, you may have said these words with that big Texas smile across your face, a car packed to the gills as you got ready to head out for college. Say them with me. It's time. Those are two powerful words that preclude events often marked by excitement and adventure and potential blessing. And those are two powerful words which often mark occasions that seem to be filled with dread and anxiety and potential heartache. Like when you were at the anesthesiologist, or rather when the anesthesiologist entered the room just before removing a malignant tumor from your breast. When your infantry squad leader entered the barracks and informed you that the C-17 taking you to Siri was on the tarmac and you were ready to board. When a broken-hearted dad speaks to an anxious mom just before entering the courtroom to hear their son sentencing for killing a family while he was driving a vehicle drunk. It's time, huh? It's amazing how those words can be tied to both the North and the South Poles of all of our emotions, but they are. You know that. And in John 17, they're tied to some historical events of a Jewish rabbi by the name of Jesus Christ just before he was executed. Because it's time. Now in John chapter 2 and verse 24, when Jesus is asked by his mother to help with a wine shortage, it wasn't time. My hour has not yet come, he said. It wasn't the time to increase his public exposure to his ministry in John 7 and verse 6 when he said to his family, my time's just not here yet. No, not going to Jerusalem. When Jesus began to make mention of the fact that he was more than just sent by God, but that he was from God, they got the attention of some religious leaders and they tried to arrest him. Because to them it was blasphemy, but... Jesus avoided their arrest because John says his hour had not yet come. It wasn't time. Well, it's time. As we stated in the previous two weeks, Jesus has just said to his disciples that he was leaving them, but he would not leave them as orphans. He knew it would feel that way, but he wanted to assure them, I'm not leaving you that way. But rather than him guiding them, rather than him leading them, he was soon going to introduce them to a different he. The Holy Spirit that was going to come and take his place. Jesus explains to the disciples in this dramatized version of our text this morning something that I'm not quite sure that I could do in the way of reading it. So let's look in and let's listen. In a little while you will not see me anymore. And then a little while later you will see me. Some of his disciples asked among themselves, what does this mean? He tells us that in a little while we will not see him. And then a little while later, we will see him. And he also says, it is because I am going to the Father. What does this a little while mean? We don't know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to question him. I said, in a little while, you will not see me. And then a little while later, you will see me. Is this what you are asking about among yourselves? I am telling you the truth. You will cry and weep, but the world will be glad. 
You will be sad, but your sadness will turn into gladness. When a woman is about to give birth, she is sad because the hour of suffering has come. But when the baby is born, she forgets her suffering. Because she is happy that a baby has been born into the world. That is how it is with you. Now you are sad. But I will see you again. And your hearts will be filled with gladness. The kind of gladness that no one can take away from you. When that day comes, you will not ask me for anything. I am telling you the truth. The Father will give you whatever you ask of him in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive. So that your happiness may be complete. I have used figures of speech to tell you these things. But the time will come when I will not use figures of speech, but will speak to you plainly about the Father. When that day comes, you will ask him in my name. And I do not say that I will ask him in your behalf. For the Father himself loves you. He loves you because you love me and have believed that I came from God. I did come from the Father. And I came into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Then his disciples said to him, Now you are speaking plainly without using figures of speech. We know now that you know everything. You do not need to have someone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you believe now? The time is coming, it is already here. When all of you will be scattered, each of you to your own home, and I will be left all alone. But I am not really alone, because the Father is with me. I have told you this so that you will have peace by being united to me. The world will make you suffer, but be brave. I have defeated the world. After Jesus finished saying this, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Give glory to your Son, so that the Son may give glory to you. For you gave him authority over all people, so that he might give eternal life to all those you gave him. And eternal life means to know you, the only true God and to know Jesus Christ, whom you sent. I have shown your glory on earth. I have finished the work you gave me to do. Father, give me glory in your presence now, the same glory I had with you before the world was made. I have made you known to those you gave me out of the world. They belong to you, and you gave them to me. They have obeyed your word, and now they know that everything you gave me comes from you. I gave them the message that you gave me, and they received it. They know that it is true that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those you gave me, for they belong to you. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And my glory is shown through them. And now I am coming to you. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Holy Father, keep them safe by the power of your name. The name you gave me. 
so that they may be one, just as you and I are one. While I was with them, I kept them safe by the power of your name, the name you gave me. I protected them, and not one of them was lost, except the man who was bound to be lost, so that the scripture might come true. And now I am coming to you, and I say these things in the world, so that they may have my joy in their hearts in all its fullness. I gave them your message, and the world hated them, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. But I do not ask you to take them out of the world. But I do ask you to keep them safe from the evil one. Just as I do not belong to the world, they do not belong to the world. Dedicate them to yourself by means of the truth. Your word is truth. Father, we come together as a people in your name. Because we, we believe the words Jesus has just said, that your word is truth. But we're not the only ones. The Salvation Army Church this morning joins us, and so do churches all over this county, this state, and the world. Who are trying to find their way in a world in which we don't fit very well. Any more than your son fit here, any more than his disciples fit here. And we've come together to say... When we don't fit and we don't respond very well to how you would have us live in it, would you forgive us? Would you empower us to recognize that? To be strengthened to, to live better than that? Because we so want to honor you with all that you've given us that we celebrated today in the supper, that we celebrated in these songs. But Father, we come now and ask you, how could you use us? What time is it for us? In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, It's time. What in the world did God bring you here this morning? Because you needed to hear those two words. As important as any words as you hear this morning, why those words? It's time. Is it because of a conversation that needs to take place that you've been putting off? Forgiveness that needs to be extended. Seeking outside help for an addiction that's held you in its grips. It's time. Is it a career change that you've been putting off, a project that needs completion? What is it in your life that's practically shouting for you to take action on? Because it's time. Can I tell you of one in my life and how John 17 is helping me to handle it? Carlene went on hospice this week. She's my faith mom. For those of you who don't know, many in Kerrville at the Church of Christ here know that when Gail and I left Rodosa, New Mexico, to move to Fredericksburg and plant a church there for the Oak Hills Church, Carlene wouldn't stand still for it. When we traveled back to Ruidosa to announce that we were moving to Fredericksburg, we told her first before anyone else. And when we did, she replied, well, when do we leave? Now, why in the world would a widow woman in her 80s and not blood family to the sportsmen's do that? In the spiritual sense, it's because we are blood. We are family. And not only do we share the blood of Jesus together, but we've shared 27 consecutive Christmas dinners together. 
For 24 years, we've met in some type of a small group together. She has been present for every major event in my family's life from the birth of my second child to their graduations from high school and college and weddings. All of those together have formed a union in our hearts that the name mom has been attached to like literally no other woman in my life. Carlene's my faith mom and she just turned 91 last month and her lungs are giving out. Except for two brief weeks in the last couple of months, she has not been able to be here at what she will say is the best church ever in her life. Well, she may surprise me again and show up, but I don't know. And God has offered me and Gail the privilege of helping her finish well. It's time. She accepts that. We accept that. It's time for her to discard a body that is worn out and tired and reconnect with George. It's time for her to meet the Jesus she's known by faith, face to face. And God's invited us to help prepare her exit strategy, which goes to another level Monday morning when we go to meet to talk about her funeral. Because it's time. What's it time for in your life? Is it something that you've been putting off and avoiding or something that has been dropped in your lap and you've been trying to do your best to just ignore this one? But it keeps crying out, it's time. Well, if you're ready to act, I want to point you to a few things again that John 17 is helping me to prepare to embrace this time in my life. The simple answer is I'm just trying to mimic what Jesus did to finish well. Starting with prayer. It's always a good place to start. Jesus did when he announces the time has come, as you heard a few moments ago in that video. It's as he initiates prayer with his Father. If you've ever read a red-letter edition of the Bible, some of you may have brought them here this morning. It's amazing when you get to this section of John 14 through 17, how red this section of the Scripture is compared to any other in the Bible. The red signifies the words of Jesus, and in, in most of the other places that you see the red letters, Jesus is instructing, Jesus is teaching, Jesus is exhorting. But these are praying words in John 17. He's not challenging the disciples to change, he's asking God to help him navigate change in his own life. Now, you know he's, he's exhorted the disciples to pray. Through verses like this, keep alert and pray, otherwise temptation will overpower you. The spirit is indeed willing, but the body is weak. Here and on many other occasions, Jesus exhorts his disciples to pray, but equally as significant, I think, is that the disciples saw the example of prayer in Christ. He prayed after his baptism. He prayed as a prelude to selecting the twelve. He prayed in response to rejection. He prayed prior to getting feedback about his performance. If any of you here have ever had a, a performance evaluation, you know how tense sometimes that can be. Well, Jesus was about to have one and he asked, Who do you say I am? Before that performance evaluation, he prayed, the text says. He prayed with his closest friends in worship on the Mount of Transfiguration. He prayed when nothing less than a miracle would do. He prayed when he hoped God would rescue him from some tough circumstances he was facing in the Garden of Gethsemane. When it was time, 
Jesus prayed. Always. He talked things over with his Father in heaven before he, he acted out anything in the world. And I think that's a great pattern to follow. Because when it's time, I think you would do well, just as Jesus did well, to follow that example. And how he prayed, you take, you take notice of if you want to be not necessarily effective, but as, as available as Jesus was to his God. He starts by acknowledging that what he's been given trumps anything that he needs God to grant him. If you go back and read John chapter 17, when he says, it's time. I love that he starts there. I want to start there, but so often I, I want to move from when it's my time to, God, here's what I need, rather than saying, wait, before I, I get to that, can I thank you for what you've already given? He does exactly that in John 17. In verse 2, he says, you've given me my authority. Thank you. Any assignment you've given me, it's yours. Any friends you've given me, you've You've supplied. Any glory that has come or will come, you've given. Verse 11, even my name you've given. They're all a gift from you. It's because gratefulness and thankfulness is always a great place to start when you, when you go to pray about anything. Will it ensure that you get what you want from God quicker? <laughs> Some may teach that. But what it really does is make the relationship with you and your God deeper. Gratefulness is foundational, i found, to any relationship that you have. I can almost guarantee you, if there is a relationship you have that's strained, there's very little gratefulness or thankfulness there. So when you engage the most powerful person in the universe, and you're ready to ask for literally anything, it might be wise to engage him with thanksgiving, because a relationship may need more work than your request list. When you go, realize that it's going to involve some change. Start with prayer. If it's time, start there. Start with prayer. But go realizing when you do pray, this is going to involve some change in your marriage, in your career, in your family, in your body, in your church, in your office. Whatever it is, it's almost always going to involve change. And, and most likely, God's going to start with you. Now, don't let that unnerve you. Actually, I hope it excites you because... The reason why God wants to change you is because that's how he changes the world one life at a time. And he wants to start with you. But, hear me clearly, he wants to change the world through you. One life at a time. I think that's exciting. I'm going to be a part of that. Ah, oh, well not me. Remember Gideon? He would have said the same thing. And God changed him from a farmer to a general. Mary would have said the same thing, and he changed her from a peasant girl to the mother of Christ. Paul would have said the same thing. Yeah, he was a powerful local rabbi, but God turned him into a worldwide evangelist. He transitions Joseph from a baby brother to an Egyptian prince. He transitions David from a shepherd to a king. Peter, who just wanted to fish on the Sea of Galilee, he says, oh, no, no, we're planting churches, bro. And of all the things that God says it's time for, most often... What that means is, is it's time for change because God loves to make reassignments. And regrettably, some of those are tragic assignments. Some make no sense at all for the moment. A mental or physical disability for a child? Really, God? The loss of an uninsured home in a flood? 
Really? Fires that destroy hundreds of thousands of acres representing hundreds of thousands of years growing them? Really, God? When you finally land the job of your lifetime, the company gets sold? Really? Wow! It is so hard to see how some unimaginable things can be divine at all, can serve any good at all. But as I look back at my life, as some of you do too, they have. And as evidence, I'm going to take you back this morning to remind us of something Jesus mentioned earlier in the text, but of something that um, was right up there with the unimaginable scale, reaches its peak in your life. It's a time that you spent developing in your mother's womb. I know most of you can't recall this from your past, but as it was occurring, trust me, it was change on a scale we would rarely ever see as helpful or welcome. Let me remind you this morning that every gestation day that you were in that womb, you were being equipped for a life you had never experienced. From the moment you were conceived, you began to change, I'm telling you, in amazing ways. Cells began to multiply from life as a microorganism into a life as a person. Crazy changes. Your bones began to solidify. Your eyes began to prepare you to see an umbilical cord transported nutrients from mom to you. All those things you had never, ever experienced before. And so you might remain in that cushy little irresponsible cocoon forever. If on one day your mother said, it's time, like right now, you might have been there forever. And we wouldn't have blamed you if you've ever gotten out here and lived here a while. You talk about cushy, having everything that you need, life in luxury. And when you came out, you want to talk about some noise. For both mom and you, it was kind of like a race to see who could scream the loudest, who could cry the loudest. And this little boy, you know why he's crying, don't you? It's not because he just came out. It's because someone stuck those silly ears on his head to prepare him for all the other silly things that people were going to try to encourage him to do and wear and be. You'd have never asked for those changes that you needed inside if you'd have known some of the pain and some of the hurt and some of the difficulty and some of the frustration that would be awaiting you once those changes all came together and life began as you know it. Our womb time was preparing us for our earth time. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing because God's changing the world through your life. Through that metamorphosis, through that transformation, through all those changes that took place. Many of them while you didn't even know were going on. God was at work in you to change this world one life at a time. Now, only looking back on the outside of that change, distance from that change, can you understand that some of those prenatal features that God was placing on you that didn't seem to be needed at the time weren't really needed out here. You grew a nose, but you couldn't breathe when you were in mom's womb. You had two eyes that had developed, but you couldn't see. Your tongue and your toenails and your hair served absolutely no purpose in your mom's belly. But aren't you glad you have them out here? Yeah, I am. The point is, in walking you back through all that, is simply this. There's going to be certain chapters in your life, my friend that seem unnecessary as fingernails on a newborn. Chapters of suffering, chapters of loneliness, chapters of disease, chapters of frustration, genocide, martyrdom, miscarriages, malignancies, pimples, taxes, floods, you name it. But they all have their place 
Some way, somehow, God's working it all together for good. Not that they're good, but they're being worked all together for good for this story that he's writing, and we get to be a part of it. That excites me, and it unnerves me. What if Jesus is right? That this life is just the prelude to a life that really, honestly, never ends. What if this really is just the prologue? What if? What if earth is really life 1.0, I guess you would say, and or actually, let's go back up. Maybe the, the womb was life 1.0 and earth is life 2.0 and there's another life that's coming that can't even begin to compare with the life that we've already lived. Then we could say that about the womb, can't we? Jesus is trying to say before he leaves this world to his disciples, there's another life coming, an eternal life that's coming. And what's key in that is knowing the Father and knowing me. But the world that's coming, oh my goodness, no way I could prepare you for what's coming. That's what Paul tried to say in 2 Corinthians 4.17. These small troubles are getting us ready for an eternal weight of glory that will make all of our troubles seem like nothing. 2 Corinthians 4.17. I don't know what God's going to need to do in my life that it's time for next. But this one that he has in my life right now, it's uncharted territory for me. So I'm not asking a lot for presence these days. I'm asking for his presence. I've asked for a lot of presence in my time, in my lifetime with God. And so have you. There's been a lot of things that I've wanted to see happen in my life. But I just got to tell you, it's time for something in my life that I need his presence more than I need his presence that he can give. I don't need cars, I don't need phones, I don't need clothes, I don't even need answers. I don't need a truck, I don't need 20% increase in my portfolio. I don't even need my way. I just need his presence. Your life inside your mom depended on the presence of her. Absolutely was dependent upon her presence in you and around you. And Jesus is trying to say here in John chapter 17, that's not going to change, guys, when I leave. You're going to be equally as dependent. You've had God among you, but you, you're going to need God with you in a way that that even I can't provide this way. Presence is what mattered most for Jesus. He came and initiated a presence the world had never known. A God that you could hold, a God you could teach, a God that you could read to, a God that you could teach to respect, a God you could teach to throw a ball, a God you could teach the law to, a God that you could teach to worship. He was God with us and it started when he went through a womb and he was birthed and he, he came and grew and, and became an adolescent and a teenager and an adult and, and someone who, who could barely wash the dishes to someone who could, who could create an ox yoke. And then it's someone who could create eyes that could see and ears that could hear and who could create a lunch or, or a meal for thousands out of this little lunch for a boy. He was Emmanuel. He was God with us, but... There was a presence that he wanted this world to know that was beyond that. It was God in us. And that's what he's trying to say to his disciples. That's what is on his heart. These last moments with them, these last prayers that we have privilege to be able to look in on. Jesus didn't want them to be without his presence because that presence meant protection. It meant protection for you. Your mom did all that she could to protect you when you were in her womb. And that same, that same idea, that same sense of, oh, yes, she would, 
God wants us to understand Jesus' feeling as he's about to leave this world. God, protect them that way. They don't need presence. They need your presence around them because it meant protection. Not from pain. They were going to experience some of that. Not from suffering. They would experience that. Not from disappointment. Not from loss. They would experience all of that because Jesus himself experienced those things. Can I say that again? Jesus himself, God's son, experienced those things. And so would they. What he wanted protection for was from Satan seducing them and stealing them and luring them and deceiving them. That's what mattered most to Jesus. And I'm hoping this morning that through this lesson, it's a little bit of a reawakening to what should matter most for us. Of all the things that you might need to be concerned about this week, that's the one. How's your family doing? Are they being protected from this evil one who wants to lure them and deceive them and to drive a wedge between them and you and God? He's the one that you've got to worry about. Not what's going to come out of Trump's mouth next. Not whether or not Kavanaugh gets, gets onto the Supreme Court. Those things matter. But the thing that matters most is, is protecting the ones that we love. So Jesus is begging God, please God. Verse 6, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and I kept them safe by that name that you gave me. Why? Because there was life in that name. What's all this business about the power of God's name? That was mentioned in the video. I'm mentioning it here. Well, in this world, you know this. Names have power. At the moment, Donald Trump's name has power. Other names, Tiger Woods, Mother Teresa, and a list of names that you could throw out have power. And those are big names, we would say. But then there's small names that have power, too. I experienced this a couple of weeks ago. Gil and I were invited to fish a small lake in one of those golf subdivisions. And someone who was walking their dog walked up to us, and they were very, they were polite and very friendly and said, uh, I don't mean to bother you, but this is a private lake. Do you, do you have the authority to be here? And all I said is that we were the guest of, and I mentioned a name. And they said, great, you guys have a good time. And so we got to enjoy the privilege of fishing in that lake. The same thing happened at Carleen's Pool back in Fredericksburg a couple of months ago. Someone walked up, and this fellow wasn't so nice, and he wasn't so friendly. I think he had some kind of a badge or something. He said, this pool is for residents only. And we said, well, we're a guest of, we mentioned Carlene's name, Carlene Reed. Even mentioning her name, he said, just make sure you sign the book. And he left. But there was authority in her name. There was privilege in her name. There was power in that name. And just like you understand that, Jesus is trying to say, Never forget that there is a name above all names that has serious power, serious privilege, and serious authority. And that is the name of Jesus. That's why he says, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked me for anything in my name, but ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Now, I, I, I couldn't go just anywhere I wanted to or do anything I wanted to because I mentioned the name Don Barnett or Carlene Reed. But I could go to places that they offered me to go, had planned for me to go, had authorized for me to go, but their name was still required. That's what I think Jesus is saying here. I don't know how it all works, but... 
a little bit later in one of John's smaller books, he's going to talk about this Satan and mentions that he has power over this world that we live in. Not supreme power, but he's got significant power. And there are certain places in this world you can't go without a specific name, and that name is Jesus Christ. There are certain things, certain things you're not privileged to do. There are certain places that, that a certain amount of authority is demanded by him or no access exists. And so that's why, as you've heard some of us pray today, we put at the very end of it, we ask in Jesus' name these things. More than anything, what we're asking for is not presence, gifts from above, but his presence, him being the gift. It's time. It's time for me to help someone that I love dearly exit this world. What's it time for you? Again, is it time for you to move out of a personal prison that you're in that you've not been able to break free from on your own? Is it time for you to offer forgiveness to someone you've not been able to offer on your own? Is it time for you to be able to have a conversation you've never been able to have on your own? Jesus wants to help you do that. He's already authorized all of those things. Freedom from prisons. Forgiveness because he's forgiven you. Reconciliation of relationships. But there's something powerful about that name that needs to go with it. And if you aren't living under and in that name, we want to invite you right now to be a part of that. We're going to sing an invitation song. And today, rather than just your last name, you can put on the name of Christ literally forever starting today. By professing your faith in him, being baptized in that name, that name will cover you and lead you and direct you and guide you the rest of your life. And if maybe you've been living in such a way that you've forgotten whose name that you're living under and you want to ask God's forgiveness about that, we will. And you know what? He's ready to offer it. He's already authorized it. The blood of Jesus has been shed for it. All you have to do is to speak that name. 